Welcome to the June edition of the Planning Exchange podcast, and thank you to all of our listeners who've downloaded our podcast so far. For a complete list of our podcasts and speakers today, please visit our website at www.planningexchange.org, where you can find more information about our speakers and information about any upcoming podcasts. My name is Jess Noonan, and I'm joined by my colleague Peter Jewell. Our guest speaker today is none other than the esteemed Clay Lucas from The Age newspaper. Clay is a journalist from The Age who writes on urban affairs and transport. Clay, can you give our listeners some insight into the man behind the print? Uh, well, my, my bosses would say not print, um, multi-platform. So <laughs> Sorry, uh, my mistake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I've been doing the job for um, a year as city editor. Um, I was IR reporter for two years before that, and for the decade before that I've been covering planning and transport from Melbourne Times in 2002 to age 2005 and then um, pretty much taken interest in it ever since. And you were a Lonely Planet writer before that, I believe. For, yeah, my first, my first job out of out of high school was, um, out of university rather, was was uh, working for a construction, what, for a co- competitor to Cordell's. I think most people in the industry know Cordell's. Or, yeah, building information. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, a couple of years on that, then worked for Jakarta Post as a sub-editor and then got a job as a travel writer for Lonely Planet in Europe doing city guides. Um, did it for a few years, came back, did a journalism postgrad, and here I am. Uh, Clay, we're all shaped by experiences. What are your most formulative events? In this job was definitely the Brumby government years as transport reporter um, because it was such a big topic and the, the spin machine was going so hard under Brumby. Um, it slowed down under Bailey for a while and then sped back up under Napthine. But um, seeing how Labor did it under Brumby was was uh, a sight to behold. We'll get to that uh, question about media units later on, yep. which will be interesting. And uh, what, what drew you to reporting on urban affairs and transport matters? Well, I think it's one of the things that... Um, uh, part of the reason planners are so reluctant to trust journalists is... Um, most journalists who end up on print or what's left of print organisations come start on local papers and I started on a local paper and understood very little about planning but but um, but you still have to report it because it's the biggest issue in local government and so you end up you end up doing stories that are very resident centric because they're the main ones complaining and um, you developers don't want to talk to local papers so you end up having to leave developers out because they won't be involved um, councils are terrified of the local paper because it's quite powerful so that, that's that's where I started off covering urban affairs and I really enjoyed it because I loved architecture and planning's interesting difficult to understand for for journalists who aren't trained in it, but um, that's how I ended up covering it, and then from that, transport became a real love, and then I've just kept on going. And the longer you're in it, the more you realise how difficult it is. And in the early years, you think it's just 
it's easier than it actually is. Which parts are you talking about? The city development issues or the journalism? Translating planning schemes and planning law into journalism is one of the most difficult tasks that any journalist can do. And, and making it easy to understand. Without to being the wrong. Reader. Yeah. yeah, without being wrong. And too often it's wrong. So, how do you verify those sources normally? Uh, the facts are all normally there. It's mm. just. So hard to explain. It's so hard to. Firstly, as a journalist untrained in planning to understand um, what's actually happening as opposed to what the residents think is happening and what the council wants you to understand and what the state government wants you to understand, to try and boil what's actually happening down into a story that's then readable to a human who's untrained in planning is, is almost impossible. Mm. Um, well, there's still time. You can still go back and do your postcode <laughs> in planning. <laughs> I've done a couple of days of Planet courses, um, uh, okay. the ones the department used to run, yeah. I think, and it just it stays for about two weeks, and then you encounter it in real life, and yeah. it's just. I mean, you, you you can report it accurately, but it is so hard to to as as an untrained person to to, to get it to get it a hundred percent right without misrepresenting anyone or anything. So, and for all the planners who complain about media coverage, if they ever tried. Mm, I don't envy you. <laughs> <laughs> so where do you find your... Um, where, where's your well of inspiration for um, your articles? seems a bit bit rich to dignify it as inspiration for journalism <laughs> sometimes because so much of it is about telling um, bad news stories because there is so much... There seems to be so much bad news to talk about. Yeah. Um, or where do you, how do you come across the stories? Is it people giving you tips? Is it um, there's, there's, observations? There's a huge amount of... You get a lot of uh, readers complaining about things. Yeah. Most of them turn turn out to be not, not... They go nowhere most of the time. Some of them, some of them come into stories. Um, a lot of it comes from council reports, um, state government reports... Um, state government media releases. You try not to be on the drip from state government. We'll come back to that. Yeah. Um, trends in city life. What are some of the most pertinent at the moment? You know, what's happening with the zeitgeist at the <coughs> moment? Do you think the, out there? The big thing is apartment living and apartments and and this huge surge in apartment construction that started under Madden. The approval process started under Madden and then just picked up speed under under Matthew Guy and. Showed a bit of a sign of abatement for a you know for a little while while, while um, Richard Wynn was getting ready, but now it just seems to be ploughing on. Um, you know, a little slower than it was, but not not much slower from what I can and, see. And can you expand upon? I mean, there's apartments, but you know, is it the lifestyle that we're living now, or more people are living that, or what is it about apartments? I think it's the affordability thing. I think that's a big driver of it. Um, the cost of housing and the, just the you know, is it? It's, it was a hundred thousand people extra a week, um, a a sorry a year a year a year a year, and the city growing by that much just you know only so much of it can go on the fringe. Um, there is a question of whether it actually affects affordability. Having this huge surge of um, high-rise development in the CBD, um, on there's the uh, there's arguments to say that. It, you guys know better than I do that it doesn't necessarily have have the impact that people with vested interests say it does. But well, every, every, everywhere there's vested interests, isn't there? I yep. mean, it's I mean, everyone's got a, a vested interest in something. Yes. Um, 
And what about uh, with the housing affordability? Do you, th- do you look at it from a generational point of view, that people are locked out of the housing market? I do. I don't pretend to have an expertise in housing, though. I mean, I try to... Come it's on. such a huge part of my, <laughs> part no, of my you're, round. You're meant to be one of the few journalists <laughs> covering this stuff. It's such a big part of my round, but it's it's so complicated and it, there's so much to it in, to do with economics and land supply, which is a big part of my round. Um, but So what kind of stories do you think get told and which ones don't get told? Is there rule of thumb on, on what you tend to publish? The ones that get told are the ones that have people complaining the loudest, which yeah. is a pity because they're often not the most important. Yeah. Um, but when there's people coming at you with information that is provable, who are complaining about it, it's so much more straightforward to do a story of that type than it is to spend weeks doing uh, investigations of what's actually happening, which is a sad statement on journalism, but that's just that's probably the reality. Has it always been that way, do you think? Yeah, I think mm. it has. I think there's this rose-eye, rose-coloured glass version of how journalism was and I don't know that it ever was um, that. We had used to have resources to do a lot more of the big projects. We do less of them but we do them really well now when we do them. We, we did one on Fisherman's Bend over, Chris, over summer Christmas and that mm. was five or six five or six pieces and it was good. It was good. That's getting on to the hollowing out of journalism, the resources yep. and the, the people who are supposed to be monitoring the city trends, which is the journalists mm. and other groups as well, yep. But uh, and sounding the alarm on negative trends, uh, what sort of role can journalists do in the current austere times in terms of the media? I think we can still do a lot. I think we still do do a lot. Um, yeah, I think I think it's different to what it was. It doesn't seem like the appetite is there in the way that it was a decade ago for individual projects. There was a when I started on the Melbourne Times, there was a project called. Um, uh, NKYA, I think it was called then, which later became The Artists, and um, which is a eight or ten level development in Fitzroy. Um, might not even be that high, but at the time that it, that it was that it came out, it was uh, a sort of statewide significance because it was the first Melbourne 2030 inner city development that used 2030 as a justification for going as high as it did. Um, Today, there wouldn't because there's been so much of it. There wouldn't be the appetite for individual projects like it to get covered. Um, so I, there's been there's much less specific local coverage in in our paper and our pages. I think because there's less newsprint and more. We actually end up covering a lot more, but less of it end up, ends up in the paper. So it's this quandary of people probably don't realise how much does get covered that they don't realise is going on. There's multimedia. Yeah. I mean, we, I, I, I've done lots of stories that have only run online and don't get that much pick-up or coverage because people don't realise they're there sometimes, mm. which is a real pity and that probably wouldn't have happened a decade ago because there was a bigger appetite for um, local coverage. And so would you say there's particular types of stories that people want to hear? I mean, is there... Um, does the media and reporting on urban affairs just play to stereotypes that the audience wants, i.e. incompetent bureaucracy and developers, NIMBYs? Um, that sort of I, don't, thing? I actually don't think we do, 
but only because it's very hard to prove most of those stereotypes. <laughs> but do, I think. Do you think? Let's go through that list again. Incompetent bureaucracy, wicked developers, selfish nimbies. Well, I, I would say. I, I would have thought that's all the you know the characters on the stage for a lot of stuff we read. But I would think it's check for all three that they all exist, but it's very hard to black and white um, prove any of them most of the time. That's what the difficulty is of planning stories as well, mm -hmm. that so often when you know something is going on because you've been told it by several people involved, you can't write it because you can't prove it and if you can't prove it and you get sued, you're, you're screwed. I mean, there is a saying that if you know, we read the newspaper and believe what we read, uh, not just newspaper but other media, but if we know something about the story, we know that the article is about 50% accurate. Is that, how, does you, how do you respond to that? Uh, I'm, I'm all too aware of, of, of that being the case. I try not to make it not so on my stories, but um, who would know? We're not being too unfair on me, are we, Jess? Not at all. But I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think, when I look back at a lot of the stories I did on transport at the time, some of them seemed um, uh, had a, some of them seemed a little over the top. You look back now and you think they probably weren't over the top enough mm. because people were getting away with things that they just shouldn't have been allowed to get away with. Um, and it still amazes me. We've just had nine people charged with criminal offences uh, within our transport bureaucracy and no one seems to have been, to my knowledge, no one's, except for the two kind of ringleaders, I don't think that anyone's been sacked over it. Do you think people have lost faith in institutions, so therefore when these stories come up, they say, oh, well, you know, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, I do. It's, I do. Uh, what can you trace that to? The last 20, 30 years, do you think? I think people are a lot more savvy about media than they were. So we're, once we were considered, considered to be factually right about everything, and um, Fairfax is so much better than than our competitors. Well, we won't have you sledge the Oz, but anyway. <laughs> I wasn't talking about the Oz, but because um, um, they don't really cover this area. But, but um, factually, we are far and away better than anyone in the game, I think. Mm. How do you find time? I mean, you've got deadlines. You've got the grind of a deadline. Yep. You know, you've got, what time do you, what time does your copy have to go? Uh, for the next day? If it's a good story, mm. seven. Seven in the evening. If it's good. If it's so going on page one, two or three, seven. If it's going on any page after that, you need to have filed by five, so which is so different from a decade ago when it was, you could, you're still filing at nine o'clock mm. um, and you could go to a council meeting. I covered Melbourne Council for a long time um, and I covered their meetings. They'd finish at 8.30 or nine, I'd file and it would, would be in the next day's paper. Yeah. Um, whereas now it doesn't matter, you know, we'll, you'll end up online anyway and mm -hmm. the biggest readership is on Facebook between 8 and 10.30, 8, 8 and 11, so you'll catch that anyway if you file now, but you won't get in print. So it's just getting back to that, you know, you, you've got the deadline at 7 in the evening, you get the story about 10 in the morning, mm. yep. right? You've got to hit your sources yep. for verification. How broad are your sources to check this? I mean, fact-checking is very difficult, particularly a lot of information is closed. Yeah. Right? Yeah. How, do you, how do you do it? They're broad now. Like, I, I have a huge list of people I can ring to ask, mm. is this true? A tiny list of people who go on the record about much of it. But um, there's, there's... Everyone in planning is such a small world that it's not hard to 
find out if something's true or get phone numbers for people who will talk to you about it. It's just nigh on impossible to get people to go on the record because the media, uh, not the age, but other media get things wrong. We, sometimes we get things wrong, but in planning, we transport and planning, I think we cover well. Your pretty mm. reputation. <laughs> so good probing journalism, is it a hard and rigorous task, would you say? It's really hard. Yeah, yeah it's really hard. It's really hard to get people to talk to you um, on the record about anything, which makes it often quite hard to do things. And I, I don't like using sources, and most journalists don't like mm. saying sources say. Most journalists of any you know, repute don't like, unless it's a big enough deal, if it's involving life mm. and death stuff or people going to jail for wrong reasons or mm. policing, or then it's more acceptable for things like transport and planning. You know, this is not... So much of it seems like first world problems a lot of the time. Mm. Well, good journalists never reveals their sources, isn't that the no? Isn't and that the saying <laughs> and they never do, and I never have, mm. never have. Uh, city development is a very contested space. Yep. Uh, what issues are you most passionate about as an, an individual, and how do you try and maintain a balance when those sort of subjects come up in the reporting? Uh, I, I wouldn't say what I'm most passionate about as an individual, to be honest because it cuts across what I'm supposed to do for my job, right. which is be... Well, well maybe, the, maybe that part of the question about the city development being a very contested space. It's very contested, which is why I'm reluctant to give an opinion on any of it, because it would Taint. potentially get used against me as evidence that I'm biased in one direction or another, from, from either side, from developers, residents, NIMBYs, councils, you know... Who State you, governments. Who do you talk to, Claire? I mean, you, you know, you're in a pretty lonely field. I mean, not many people cover urban matters and transport matters in this state. No. And so do you have, like, a small group of colleagues that you just go and say, all right, everything's off the record between us and we talk? There's a lot of former um, really great planning reporters here. So, I mean, Royce Miller is in the investigative unit and he's... he's he was a very, very good city editor, editor for years. Mm. So, I mean, we've all there's a lot of journalists who've been through the same stuff that I go through. Um, I, I won't say who I talk to, but there's lots of people in the planning world who are good. Reveal your sources, come on. <laughs> <laughs> there's lots of good planners who are very happy to have a yak and set you straight on what's actually happening. Just none mm. of them will ever say anything on the record, which makes it hard. So <clears> how do you get through closed doors? Often you don't. Often yeah. you don't. Um, which is what makes it really difficult job when... Uh, uh, today I'm trying to understand Fisherman's Bend and the Metrop Metropolitan Planning Authority and um, where the Minister's Office fits into an approval down there um, and it's it's completely doing my head in because I'm, I know the Minister is responsible but figuring out how we got to that point is a very long journey mm. and in, or, in order to be able to tell the story of one site you have to understand what happened six eight years ago down there and I have three hours to do it so and, and giving some of us that time Clay information <coughs> wants to be free it should be free should be free and it's a disgusting state in in Victoria where um, this is one of passion <laughs> <laughs> we, we ran a story today about Mikey that um, if you want to bid for the Mikey contract, you have to give a $50,000 surety that you won't um, release any of the data from the data room for the for the contract. 
that information should be freely available mm. because we paid the $1.55 billion for Mikey mm. and the only reason it's not available is uh, to disguise any ineptitude on the part of the department in in running the system or, or the contractors or the operators. We're sort of more interested in general themes rather than <coughs> actually mentioning names. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> that one came up today, but it, but it was a really good example of how Victoria has become uh, <clears throat> in some ways a corporatised state and that information that should be free, such as... We should all be resisting this claim. How, how, how do people? But there is make an army. Change? There is an army of people dedicated to keeping that information. We are getting to that. We'll get to it now because it's topical. All right. Well, all right. Media. All right. Government media units, corporate media units, in part function to control what appears yeah. in the media. Yeah. They are very well resourced. Hmm. Like you're outnumbered. Twenty. Four, tw- Twenty to one would be my Twenty guess. to one. Right. Yeah. Now they've got. Their main job is to corral you, yes, and to feed you, drip feed you the stories yep. they want to see. Yep. Any comment about this? Yes, big comment. Um, yesterday's front page of the Herald Sun was, uh, I think, look, the journalist is good who did it, so he might have got it himself, but it looked to be a drop from the police minister, which about a, an important topic of confiscating drivers. Cars, drunk driver cars for 30 days. More than um, order. Um, and uh, Brumby did it. Um, Napthine did it. Yeah. Bailey did it. I, I suppose it's the it's the forces at work rather than the actual names we're talking about. So. Yeah, but but no one seems to have learnt the lesson that it doesn't it doesn't work. It doesn't. Governments try to control the media cycle, but by dropping things to selected. Um, selected newspapers but it doesn't or news outlets but it doesn't generally tend to work because there's still enough journalists to do a proper job of saying well hang on that's not what's really happening here or but they know the pressures you're under for deadline for copy yeah some of these people must be your colleagues they were yeah but they can only they can only control it to a degree so they can drop the initial story but then they can't control where that story goes and they can't control us finding information out about what's actually happening so, so. Well, how do you stop being played? It's difficult in the short term. It's quite difficult because there's so many of them. I think there's, you know, 20 or 30 media advisors for um, the Andrews government, and there's there was that many for Napthine and Bellew, and there was even more for Brumby, I think. And with the corporate players as well. So there's. It's forgivable for them though, so because they they, you know, who are we to, they run a business. We all work for businesses. You can't. You know, that's that's. So they're all following you on Twitter. No, I've only got five thousand followers. <laughs> <laughs> what? How do you use social media in the in your in your current role? Do you utilise Twitter I, and yeah, I, I and use sorts of sources for your stories. Uh, LinkedIn, I try and uh, I, I shouldn't use LinkedIn because it's not it doesn't it's not good for my round particularly or mm. my job. Um, uh, Twitter is m- mostly good for provoking reactions or for mm. seeing what other people are saying or just keeping on track of what other journalists are doing. Mm. I d- I'm not convinced anyone but um, journalists and politicians mm. and um, people inside the Beltway use Twitter. Um, I know particularly for um, those of us in the industry um, with the former planning minister, you know, sometimes you'd find out things on Twitter before they were actually formally to, announced. He so would it was tweet, a great tool. He would tweet developments that yeah. were approved that the Herald Sun had, had 
um, hadn't been dropped because that was a big thing of Matthew guys that they would drop approval after approval to mm. their old son, which was really hard to know how to how to um, report on. But anyway, um, well, they want you to try and train you like a, a dog, maybe you know that if you, yeah. you know, if you if you play the game, you'll be rewarded with treats. Yeah. If not, we're going to close the door on you and, and attack you. And the age doesn't get many drops. We get we get a few, but not many, which right. is fine by me. I mean, it's you know, well, all this glum, grim news. What about the pleasures of your job? <laughs> um, the, the the pleasures of when you're breaking news that people didn't know about and wouldn't know otherwise. That's that is a real pleasure. Um, and occasionally you do good. Very occasionally you do good. It doesn't happen very often, but um, occasionally there's a direct result of. Uh, we covered a, an RSL pool closure last week, which will probably still close, but may not as a result of the story. Yeah. And uh, with just uh, talking about a Melbourne example, there's a once in a generational change to the zoning system, yep. uh, which has locked up huge areas of residential land. Uh, there's mandatory controls on a lot of commercial areas, yep. uh, surging house prices, chronic housing affordability. Some described as a silent spring occasion. Uh, how do you respond to how do you cover that sort of magnitude of issues it's really hard because um, it's hard enough to understand what's actually happening let alone report in a coherent sort of way on what's happened and every council is so specific in the changes the Kingston changes are so different to the Glenira changes to the Stonington to the Burundara and to then and each of those council areas is a local paper story it's not a metropolitan newspaper story Unless there's a bigger thing happening of what Matthew Guy did with the zones for Burundara, Stonington, Glenira, Bayside, of locking up areas to stop multi-res development, um, and that Dick Wynn's now done for Yarra and, to a lesser extent, Moreland, um, that's that's an easier story to tell because it's so politicised the... We'll look after our mates in the eastern suburbs if we're Libs, and we'll look after our mates in the inner north if we're Labor. Um, Certain groups are all disadvantaged by this. Everyone's, yeah, yep, absolutely, um, and that's how we've reported. And it. how do you tell that story? It's so. It's. I wrote a feature on it that was. I read back and thought, I'm not sure that it made would make sense to anyone, but someone with a planning degree or who's been reporting planning for ten years, which is not good. Which is not. That doesn't make for good journalism. Mm-hmm. But the the impacts of it is makes for good journalism. Uh, and uh, just, I've just got this question about surveillance. Are you concerned? A lot of journalists are concerned about surveillance of their activities yeah. and of their sources. There's, I mean, simply you're pushed to criminalise a lot of things these days. Yeah. Any comment? I'm really, yeah, really concerned about it. A lot of the stories I do are stuff that's in the public domain, so I'm not. It's not as stressful for me as it is for police reporters or the investigative guys. How do your um, colleagues deal with it? They make. Uh, I <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, put can't, the there. <laughs> can't answer the question, not because I don't know, but because I don't yeah. want to. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I mean, we we all have different ways of dealing with it. So it's. Mm. Yeah. Um. So, are there any other last observations you'd like to raise? Not really. Only that your podcast has been. Excellent to listen to. <laughs> I hope it's been helping with your. Oh, it's been great. Resources. I would. I would rather have not come on the show, but I figured after <laughs> f- 
decade and a half of asking other people to go on the record and complaining that they don't, it would be a bit rich of me not to, well, not to agree to talk. For you to come on. Good to hear the voice behind the print. <laughs> anyway, thanks for your time today, Clay, and thank you for allowing us to utilise the Fairfax Recording Studio. It's been a real treat here today. Just a reminder to our listeners to visit our website at www.planningexchange.org. We'll be announcing our next guest very, very shortly. Thank you. What's the meaning of this, huh? I mean, you get $20 for a record. $20, huh? That don't sound right. Don't sound right.